Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 18, and this week I spoke to Georgie Nicholson of Tiki Knits, a knitwear designer and lover of local Australian wool. Georgie takes me through her journey of sourcing wool, a serendipitous stop at the birthplace of Polworth Sheep, Tandy Farm, and what types of fibers she particularly enjoys working with. We discuss her work with SEAM, the Sustainable Environmental Art Movement, on WARM, which is a large-scale collaborative community knitting project making a statement about climate change, and what a unique and interesting challenge it was to create a textile representation of a painted landscape. Georgie and I talk about her transition into knitwear design and how her children have influenced her design aesthetics. Thanks so much for tuning into the Close Knit Podcast. Listen on for our whole chat. I'd love to take some time to tell you about the Close Knit Podcast's first sponsor, Wool Gathering. Wool Gathering is a four-day retreat designed to bring together folks who are passionate about all things wool. It's a chance to share our enthusiasm and knowledge, to learn about new crafts and techniques, meet new people and make new friends, and walk with the sheep that produce the fiber that gives us so much pleasure. Wool Gathering focuses on wool-based crafts and will have classes in knitting, crochet, spinning, tapestry weaving, soury weaving, needle felting, wool embroidery, and yarn dyeing. It is being held at Tarndy, which Georgie and I talk about in this podcast episode. The gathering runs from the 4th of May to Sunday the 7th of May in 2017. And during this time, you'll participate in three classes and two farm tours. There will also be demonstrations by talented teachers, beautifully catered meals using fresh local produce, live entertainment, a treasure hunt with fabulous prizes, and lots of time to sit and relax and yarn. Tickets for the event go on sale on Saturday the 12th of November 2016. You can find out more details at www.woolgathering.com.au and follow along on Instagram, Wool Gathering Australia, and Facebook, also Wool Gathering Australia. Thank you so much to Wool Gathering Australia for sponsoring this episode of the Close Knit Podcast. Hey, it's Annie of Close Knit, and I'm here with Georgie Nicholson of Tiki Knits. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Annie. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Um, what I'll do is just jump straight into it and um, ask you what your fiber of choice is and what sort of craft medium you gravitate towards the most. Oh, my fiber of choice is always wool. Always wool. Um, I don't really use many other fibers except for wool. Um, I'm not mm. a, I use cotton occasionally. I'm not a big linen lover. Um, I like wool and obviously the wool that I tend to gravitate towards is always merino yeah Um, merino or polworth probably would be the two I would gravitate towards most of all and that's just a personal preference because I like soft wool Mm -hmm. I like I like wool that's grown here in Australia I like wool that's local to me that I know where it's come from yeah as an Australian that's what I'm going to naturally gravitate towards yeah, yeah, because something like, is it like 70% of all merino in the world or something comes it's from Australia? something amazing, isn't it? It's an incredible mm. figure, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty staggering. Um, and then in terms of your craft medium, is that knitting primarily? or It is definitely knitting. I can crochet, mm-hmm. but most yeah. most crochets would be appalled if they saw me crochet because it's terrible technique. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely atrocious. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's generally knitting knitting I do do a bit of sewing um yeah. and I have dabbled in some embroidery but it's generally knitting 
Yeah. yeah. That's the one that sticks. It does stick and it's always – and it's easy because it's portable when you've got kids that you're running around with all the time. It's You can't lug your sewing machine around with you, unfortunately. So <laughs> knitting it is. <laughs> Just a miniature sewing machine. <laughs> Just set it up at the pool while I watch their swimming lessons. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a classic. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Um, so can you tell me how you kind of – went about starting to source fiber and how you found the fibers that you're working with nowadays? Oh, goodness. Um, sourcing fibers, I guess like most knitters, I used to knit with whatever was available in my local yarn store, which was back then probably Peyton's and Claire Keaton and a bit of Bendigo yeah. Woolen Mill because that's what my mum used to knit with. Yeah. Um, I probably diversified once the world of the internet got onto the knitting thing <laughs> and I – did look at a few American sort of yarns and fibres that were trendy at the time and that were everybody was knitting with that, you know, we'd never come across, across in Australia before, like Magtosh and mm. all that sort of stuff. Um, but then I think driving down the highway between Geelong and Warrnambool one day, I, I stumbled across Tandy. And I discovered yeah. local Polworth, and I guess that got me thinking about more local yarn. And at that time, around that time, Organics popped up, and another Australian local yarn. And I guess from yeah. there, it's just it became something that I've sort of tried to seek out is to buy local yarn and to support local yarn growers. Yeah. 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 I love that. I I love the sorts of stories that pop up when you just ask questions off the cuff like that like oh I just was it was a drive between here and here and I mm. found this farm yeah and it happened to be the farm that is the birthplace of Paul <laughs> it's just out the road oh what's this place let's pull in here yeah. and that was quite a while ago in, yeah that would be a, a probably oh I just pulled out the dress that I made out of it so it would be Lily would have been about two maybe nine years ago oh my gosh Ooh. wow just drive by yeah were they producing a yarn at that point they were producing a yarn at that point. It was being spun in Australia at that point as well before, oh. before the last of our beautiful mills got pulled down and closed. Yeah. Where were they so spinning? I, Do you know? I think they were spinning at CSIRO. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I know they did some spins there, and but yeah. I think there was also somewhere else where they were spinning, mm. but I can't remember. I keep, I keep asking and... Um, I keep asking Tom and I'm not sure he's completely sure, but yeah. So yeah. I think there, there were a couple of different places I was spinning, but a lot of people were spinning at the CSIRO. Yeah. So when that closed, it was oh, tragic. Yeah. Mm. Um, so for people listening, CSIRO, if you're not Australia based is like the version of the NSF so the national science foundation in America. And it's like our science foundation, would you kind of call it like the government branch that does science. <laughs> That's Roughly. exactly what it, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. won't get into the politics of it at the moment. <laughs> um, do you, like, can you tell me a little bit about that CSIRO mill? Like, was it a mill? What was it? It was a mill. It was yeah. a mill. And they were doing research there. So they were using it mostly for research, but small wool growers were getting all their yarn spun there. So oh, yeah. um, Tandy was the, the lady that has a Gotland sheep in... New South Wales? Maybe she's not in New South Wales. Um, okay. There's, so there's a few other local small wool sellers that were getting spun there. Yeah. And probably through government funding withdrawal, 
as tends to happen with the CSIRO. (laughs) (laughs) It um, was closed and part of the machinery was sold off. I'm not sure where the mill is. Okay. Um, Yeah. I do believe the Scara might be out at Birragurra. I heard a little whisper. (laughs) But where the actual mill is, I'm not sure. Yeah, because there was talk about selling it off and... I think I don't know. I don't think it was sold off overseas. I think it may be still in Australia. Huh. Hmm. All right. Well, I feel like I need, I need to now go like <laughs> pick CSIRA's brain about yes. this. As if you can just pick the entity's brain. <laughs> but yeah, ah. so they've they've recently got back into doing different fibre research. So I don't know whether they'll go down that trail or not. But they've been doing yeah. Perhaps not wool fibre research, I'm not sure. Which is a shame because wool is the best. <laughs> exactly. It's frustrating. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay, cool. Well, Because I, I know when I was first getting into wool, a friend of mine was like, or moved to Australia and was first getting into knitting down here and stuff. A friend was like, oh, we had this amazing wool industry and we were spinning everything here and then it just stopped. It did, and I was like, yeah. what happened? Like, where, when did it stop? And she was like, I'm not exactly sure. Like I started trying to like research and read books and read mm. news articles. And so she's been like piecing it together, but it's just one of those things that. It's, it's hard to find. It's not very well documented when it just all went mm. bung. Just happened. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and then every so often you hear about all these tiny mills that are operating, and you're like, "Oh, you're a thing. You do that yeah, over there. Yeah. I didn't know. How did I not know about mm. you? <laughs> like, I'm really interested in all this. How do I not know about yeah, you?" Yeah, there's quite a few tiny mills still in operation, and Nundal Woolen Mill in New South Wales are the, I believe, the only commercial mill that where it's completely produced in Australia still. So there is one, but they oh, don't okay. they don't out like in source. You can't send your yarn yeah, there to okay. be spun they just do all their own mm. stuff but everything from then is completely Australian oh okay which is a, I didn't realize yeah. that was Nundal yeah I think it's huh. a recent thing I think it's a fairly recent thing mm. I think at one stage they were perhaps scouring overseas and they've mm. changed that practice or there was some aspect of their system that was happening probably in China but yeah. recently within possibly the last 12 months to two years they've changed that process Oh, okay. Hmm. It's funny because I was up in uh, Walka, which is near uh, Tamworth, where there's the big giant holding guitar. (laughs) 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 So I was up there because a friend... Um, a friend's parents own like kind of a sheep farm out there and it was like their going away party and they were like oh you got to go out to Nundal while you're out here but I was like in a in a car full of non oh, people yes. so I was like oh it's gonna be an extra you know we were driving back to Sydney and it was gonna take five hours or whatever so I was like oh it's an extra hour or two I probably can't force <laughs> you guys to do this with me it's very so, out of the way it's very yeah. out of the way yeah Mm, another time I think yeah yeah, I didn't I assumed that some part of it was China no I mean done in China that's interesting apparently not anymore which is great yeah Mm. man every time that I learn more like from podcast conversations or just from talking to people I'm like I need to get a resource like database going there needs to be some kind of database for this so that's a all right, that is a to-do. I've got a little booklet which I keep all my notes about, the local suppliers and spinners and scourers oh, and all that sort of stuff. That's amazing. To have a database one day would be great. The moment yeah. I've just got this little notebook. <laughs> I have a dream of, like, employing my partner who does 
some coding stuff to create like a little map of Australia that has like all of the stuff. And then, and then you can be like, I want to take a, you know, like I'm doing a road trip from like, from, you know, from Geelong to the Mornington Peninsula or something. And then it would like plot out all the places that you should stop. (laughs) I I have had that thought too. It would be fantastic. An Mm. app, a local yarn store and a woolly app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and not only the local yarn stores, but like you're saying, all the like spinners and the, oh, yeah. all the different things that happen. Fiber producers who don't necessarily turn their the majority of their fiber into knitting yarn, mm. but that have fiber lying exactly. around that they could sell to you. And that aren't online. There are so many little places that don't have an online presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's so, I feel like there's all these, there's just a wealth of information in all the guilds and all these mm. places. But if you don't go to those guilds or you're not local to that place, yeah. then you completely miss out you on it. You just don't know. Yeah. So yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got a project to work on, I think. <laughs> we have. <laughs> oh, speaking of projects, I've been wanting to ask you about Warm. Can you tell me oh, about Warm? I can tell you about Warm. Warm is a, large-scale collaborative community knitting project which (laughs) makes some statements about climate change and um, the redundancy of fossil fuel in the future so we're inviting knitters Mm. from all over Australia to take part knit one of the 15 patterns and send their pieces in and we're going to use all the pieces that people knit to reconstruct a giant landscape that is a regenerated coal mine at the art gallery of Ballarat in September yes that's so cool it's pretty cool (laughs) yeah Mm. so how did that kind of come to be like how did you end up writing the patterns is it your the project a genesis of yours like how did this all happen Um, the project is the birth child of a group in Ballarat called SEAM which are the sustainable environmental art movement got that and they approached me a couple of years ago to see if I'd be interested in doing this project and I said yes and so it's taken a little while to get the funding that required to get it all off the ground because there's a lot of funding involved in something like this and Mm. they commissioned an artist to paint the two landscapes and then oh wow yeah so I've got to see this beautiful amazing painting and then go right I've got to transform that into knitting Oh my gosh. (laughs) And it was then when I looked at the painting, I went, God, how am I going to do this? What have I gotten myself into? Because, yeah, yeah, it's not like embroidery where you can go, break this Mm. square down and that person can do that bit. Yeah, so it's going to be like a giant collage y type of using a bit of knitting, almost like paint, you know, as dabs of paint and putting in here and there to create an overlay of the image. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Is there going to be like a knitted, I don't know, almost like a knitted tapestry that's like the thing that all the pieces are going to be sewn into? Or um, I think we're is... going to, we're going, because it's going to be in the art gallery, it'll need to, and it's massive. It's like three by four meters. So it's quite a wow. big piece. So it will be framed with Hessian probably. And we will sew. Okay. So, with panels of hessian and we'll just sew the pieces to panels of hessian so sort of overlay it this is this Mm. is the idea (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. having never done something like this before we'll see yeah Mm. it's brave it's a cool undertaking yeah i didn't quite realize how big an undertaking it was when i said yeah i'll be in for that 
course I will. That's all the things I believe in. I'm there. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> so then, you just took this landscape and kind of went, right? How do I recreate this with knitting? And mm. so then you um, chose some like Australian native, yeah, kind of flora and such. Yes, Is that right? yes. So I, um, mm. I broke it down and looked at the piece. And there's a tree, and there's a lake, and there's sky, and there's background and foreground. So there's really obvious parts of the painting that you can break down. Mm. And, and then there's a big stretch where it just is, looks like wildflowers. So wildflowers, I thought, you know, things like that would be great. Give it some real added texture in 3D to create wildflowers mm. and gum leaves. And then the other bits yeah. are just sort of blanket squares and hats and mittens that can be useful objects. So everything in the project oh. is useful objects. So if it ever gets pulled apart at the end of the project, which we're not sure whether it will because it will probably do a little tour, um, but when it gets pulled apart at the end of the project, everything can be donated to charity. Everything has a, a life beyond the project because, you know, it wouldn't be much point making this big environmental pro statement if at the end of it, what do you do with it all? So everything yeah. will have a life beyond it. Oh, that makes me really excited to hear yeah. because I think I have this – real internal dilemma about knitting and craft as art and as like like yarn bombing and yeah. things like that like I think it's fabulous and I think it's a way for a person to express themselves it's a way for people to see it in their everyday life and start to start to kind of make sense of what knitting or crocheting can be and I think that's really powerful it can be really powerful but then there's this part of me that's like what happens with mm -hmm. it at the end yeah and part of what I love about knitting is like that you can you're making something like it's it's a fun process and it's an artful creative process but then you end up with something that a person can use yeah. at the end yeah yeah oh, that's so cool yeah so everything is usable there's brooches the yeah. little trees and wind turbines become brooches and the big wind oh. the big wind turbines aren't perhaps as usable but I've got one here look this is how big it is oh I love it <laughs> but you know kids can play with these my kids get their cars out and drive around it and becomes part of their landscape so you know they have yeah. purpose oh, that's but it'll be so fun cool. and I totally agree with you on the yarn bombing thing the thing I, I I love you know going somewhere and seeing yarn bombing that but for me the biggest thing about concerns me is the use of acrylic yarn in yarn bombing because wool is biodegradable wool will break down mm. so if you do yarn bomb somewhere and just leave it it will eventually biodegrade and break down but acrylic every time it rains small fragments of that acrylic those petrochemicals are leaching into the waterways which yeah yeah that's really uh, and that's the hard me. bit because you yeah because it's I don't I think a lot of people approach yarn bombing with like well it would be very expensive for me to use wool mm. so I'm going I'm going to go with this yeah. cheaper option which like fair enough I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to put hundreds of dollars <laughs> exactly into something that's kind of <laughs> be on a you know be on a pole a sweater for a pole kind of thing oh yeah problematic yeah yeah absolutely yeah mm. um what would you say is kind of your favorite part about the fiber art space and then one thing that you're kind of excited about right in this moment oh my favorite thing about the fiber art space oh, that's a tricky one I think the community I think that the feeling of community that comes with fiber arts is is fabulous growing up um before i you know, the internet growing up where you were a crafter and there weren't lots of people that did craft. You didn't have that great sense of community. But now, you know, you can meet people all across the world and there is a great sense of community and support for crafters. So I love that. Um, 
The thing that I am excited about is I think the return, the focus on the provenance of yarn and of where it comes from and knowing our yarns and knowing where they come from, I think that that movement is really exciting in the in the fibre industry at the moment, that people are, are, you know, like Nan's story, that people are interested by that story and yeah. will buy her yarn because not only does she produce a great product but that's, that backstory really sells her yarn and people want to support producers who do the ethical thing like that rather than just going to the yarn store and buying, you know, the $5 bowl of wool that's been manufactured overseas. So I love mm. that people are beginning to support local and they want to know where their wool comes from and they want to know how it's grown and mm-hmm. that really excites me. That's mm-hmm. I think that's fabulous. Totally. Um, I'm really curious because coming from America and then living in Australia, so I've only lived in Australia for a few years now and I often wonder what the, the trajectory of that sort of being fiber conscious or whatever the term is has been in the different countries have you can you would you say that it's been really recent that that's happening in Australia or have you seen it in a longer scale I think it's a what do you reckon? I think it's a fairly recent thing but then I'm probably talking from my perspective as a crafter but I do know that the mm. you know the colored sheep growers of Australia may say that it's a quite different thing but from where I sit I think it's a fairly recent thing that's only sort of st- – and I think it does follow on the back of what's happening in America as well because definitely mm. the trend that is happening there that's led by, you know, um, so many wool growers over there that are really focusing on the American-grown wool and what the yeah. provenance of it is. Like um, I can't remember her name, the lady that has Cormo in America, like her wool. And I think Clara Parks has done a mm. – yeah, Elsie, she has. Elsie, I can't Elsie, think of the karma. Elsie, Elsie, Elsie someone <laughs> I think she is. But um, I think Clara Parks yeah. has done a big job in leading that renaissance, I guess it is. I don't know. Mm, mm. Mm. It is. And it's. I find it really interesting because it kind of feels like it started with slow food. Like we understand mm. that food affects our bodies. We understand how it affects our health. We can understand, you know, organic and how that would affect, yeah, our health and the environment. But I think it takes longer for people to see that in different spheres of their lives, absolutely. perhaps. I, absolutely. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. 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 And, it, and not necessarily to say that that's like a bad thing or that you should not focus on one or the other. I guess it depends on your interests mm. as well. Mm. But I think there's something about the fiber community and like the fashion world and all of those different spheres of that, that it might take a little bit longer for people to kind of go, oh, I understand that this thing also has a negative impact yeah, in the same way yeah. that my veggies do. Yeah, you know? and you can you do see it trans, transporting across to the fashion industry now that there's beginning to be mm-hmm. a movement within the fashion industry where people are questioning where their clothes are made, questioning what they're purchasing, which is great. Yeah. It's so, yeah. It's such a, such a, you know, the whole fashion revolution that happens every, mm-hmm. every year. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Yeah, yeah. No, that is really good. And I think there's more and more sort of documentaries and things coming out that don't feel too too doomsday or mm, too mm. sort of like preachy. They're just saying, hey, this is this is the reality of it. But at the same time, you know, you're not powerless in this. Yes. You can start to make small changes. You can make small changes in your everyday choices, you know. And I wonder where it's mm. going to lead, what the next industry will be that, that we'll tap into and be questioning, whether it will be car manufacturing or 
the flower industry. I've seen a little bit about the flower industry recently. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because the majority yeah. of flowers that the majority of flowers that we buy that we purchase, you just assume yeah. that they would be grown in your own country, but they're not. Most of them are grown in third world countries under horrible conditions, slave conditions quite often, and they're exported much in the same way that, you know, chocolate or cocoa beans and coffee are, but it's just not, it's just a hidden industry that hasn't been investigated yet. So, Mm, yeah, well, yeah, it'll be interesting. Maybe we can, we'll have to come back to the podcast in five years time and be like, (laughs) so Georgie, (laughs) which industry was it? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Mm. Definitely. Um, what did I, there was something I wanted to ask about Nan, I think. Sorry, I've lost my, oh, this is like going back a little ways in the conversation, but I think it's interesting too, to see how people are approaching their journeys into fiber. And I think it's great with like podcasts and other meat forms of that we can digest I guess to see how people are integrating it into their lives like Nan had a big career at CSIRO as an oceanographer for you know 15 years prior to that and now she's farming and like I just think it's it makes it seem like this much more approachable thing that can be done true true yes yeah Yeah, absolutely you don't have to have farmed all your life to be a farmer Yeah. yeah Do you remember like when you learned to knit and sort can you take us sort of through your journey ah. of knitting? Um, I learned to knit very small, very young, probably about five yeah. or six perhaps. And yeah. I think my mum had six kids and I wanted to learn how to knit. And I think she got a little bit frustrated with me because I'm left-handed. Oh, and okay. at one stage I did teach myself to knit by copying her, what she, watching what she, so I did knit backwards mirror image at one stage as a young kid I think she at some stage taught me to knit the other way around (laughs) and (laughs) I used to knit a lot as a kid I used to knit Barbie clothes and clothes for our toys and that sort of stuff and even as a teenager I used to knit I can remember knitting all my friends fingerless fingerless gloves (laughs) back in the day when Michael Jackson was really cool and he had fingerless gloves (laughs) I knit all my friends' fingers awesome. gloves. That was pretty funny. Um, they could only wear one, though, and it had to be they could white. Only wear, yes. <laughs> Strangely enough, I think I probably knitted the more blue ones, so I don't know. And um, ah, from there, I, I knitted a little bit, but it probably was with the birth of my first child that I really got back into it and mm-hmm. because I'd, I'd gone from a career which kept me very busy to seemingly having all this time on my hand to do nothing (laughs) with a small baby who was really good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then you kind of got back, back into knitting. I got back into knitting and I got back into crafting. It was either, you know, Mm. knit and sew and craft or, you know, get bored out of my brain watching daytime TV and a bit of ready set. (laughs) What is it called? Ready set chef or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I got back into it then and I probably when Lily was smaller I I did sew more than I knit. But as mm. when Toby came along and there were two little ones in the house, so it was a little bit harder to wrangle a sewing machine. So I probably started knitting more with he, when he was born and Yeah. So I guess I've always done it. Yeah. 
When did kind of pattern design come in for you? Was that sort of just straight off the bat with you? Or did you kind of see that there was a time when you started not finding what you wanted and then you just had to design your own or what do you reckon? It was definitely a case of I couldn't find a pattern for what I wanted to do. I had a ball of gradient yarn and it was one of the was it one of the first balls of gradient yarn that there were really were in Australia it was an amazing ball of yarn and I couldn't find a pattern for what to do with it so it was a case of having to design my own and make it up and Mm. yeah that was I had some friends that said you can do it go on you can do it and so I had a crack at it and it worked out yay yeah (laughs) yeah so when did can you walk me through kind of how pattern design became tiki knits to present day sort of thing oh gosh um so I probably dabbled for the first while I didn't really I didn't consider myself a designer and it probably was only no probably very recently that I felt comfortable using that label as a designer and I still don't use it very often um yeah (laughs) and it was a really slow process because it was just after the first one that I did I I put pictures I put pictures of on my blog the dress that I made and people said oh how did you do that can, can you write up the pattern and so I wrote up the pattern the single size pattern put that on my blog and then people said oh can you make it for different sizes and it's like that's a steep learning curve <laughs> but I, yeah. I figured it out I managed to figure it out by you know researching and all that sort of stuff and so I put the different sizes and it was on my blog and then you know I got the bug and I did a couple of other things and just put them on my blog and I wasn't really it was a hobby it was definitely I took it as a hobby because it was Mm. something that I enjoyed doing and it was fun and it was probably only when I did the Milo vest and I had some friends friends that were testing it I'm going to um just move a little bit because my power is going to run out I had some friends oh no worries were testing it and they said "You, you should be selling your patterns and I was like really why would I sell my patterns and it didn't occur to me because as far as I was concerned I wasn't a I wasn't a designer I didn't have a a right I guess I didn't have a right to sell my patterns because Mm. I didn't see myself as being in that same sphere as those serious designers so you know I wasn't on the same level as um Debbie Bliss or anyone like that so I didn't understand why I should be selling my patterns but they convinced me to which was great yeah and um yeah so if they hadn't have done that I don't know what I'd still be doing and so I did I sold I set my up and to sell it and was a little bit hesitant worried about it. and I said to my husband oh god if it sells 50 copies that would be so exciting and yeah so that's probably where it came and from there because Milo was a good big success and it did it did it sold really well and it's already sold, always sold really well. It's just slowly from there I've kept releasing patterns and it took a long time though for it to be something that I considered my job, not just mm. something that I did. Yeah. So it's been a yeah. long process, but yeah. Yeah. Do you kind of remember if there was a turning point for you and you were like, this is kind of my job? Like, did you change how you structured things in your life to make it feel like more of a job or how does that look? Um, Yeah, I did. There was definitely a turning point. It was probably a couple of years ago when, strangely enough, it was when I had to make a decision about whether I go back to my old employment 
oh, what did I do? And it was that point where mm. I had to go, right, if I go back to my old job, which is as a high school teacher, mm-hmm. um, I can't really do this anymore because it's high school teaching is all consuming. Or if I don't go back to teaching, what do I do to mm. bring some more income into our family? Um, my job had been on hold at the school for many, oh, wow. for all those years, which was really, really, really lucky. And, yeah. um, but it got to the point where they said, you, you have to come back next year or you have to resign. We can't hold your job for you any longer. Mm. And it was hard because I really did want to go back to teaching because I really love it. But going back to teaching would have meant that my kids' world would change. They'd grown up in a world where we'd ridden to our bikes every day to school. I'd been there after school for them every day. We've done stuff after school every day. We'd played. We'd, they'd had that easy life. They've never spent a day in childcare in their life. So they've mm. always had me about. And if I'd gone back to teaching, that would have changed for, all for them. They would have had to um, do before school care and after school care because my school is 30 minutes drive from where we live. So it, okay. so it wouldn't have been yeah. possible to um, juggle yeah. both. So it was at that time when I said, okay, I'm not going back to my job, but I'm going to have to look at doing what I'm doing. And, you know, when I looked at what I was making and what where, where I was at with the designing, I thought, well, I could really step this up and give it a give it a go and hopefully it'll it'll turn out yeah but yeah so that was probably the turning point is that decision to I guess because that other career path had closed I needed to take this other one more seriously yeah yeah and have you found that as it's turned into like a, a business for you um has your motivation changed around it or how have you seen that kind of ebb and flow over time to design and to put things out into the world? It, it has. My motivation has changed and I have to set myself specific work times like with any other job. I have mm. to set hours in the day which are my work hours um, and stick to them or otherwise it becomes too all-encompassing and it creeps into everyday life. Yeah. Um, there are, and there are times when this summer is a good example because, um, I always take the summer off because it's summer and I get to hang out with my kitties and we go and explore and swim and dive and surf and do all the fun things that you do in summer. But this summer, because I had the project to do and I had a deadline for the patterns, I had to work and that was a yeah. real challenge. So I felt oh, a bit a bit burnt out after that but yeah you do have the big ebbs and the flows but and I guess I always find motivation with starting something new (laughs) Mm. yeah but yeah so that helps that helps (laughs) but at the same time I have to finish other stuff because starting something new doesn't isn't a good business plan yeah terrible (laughs) business plan And unfortunately, yeah. I have got a massive backlog of um, half-finished patterns that I'm mm. – this year has been – I'm trying to get them finished before yeah. starting anything else new. But I'm not very good at it. Yeah. And is your kind of um, process – do you knit all of your samples and everything as well? I do. I knit all my samples. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I like to play around with construction and I like mm-hmm. to mess around with things a bit. I I think it's important that I knit the sample so that I know that it does actually work. What I think is going to work <laughs> does actually work. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Sometimes I think about that because I can't quite 
and maybe it's just where I'm at with design, but I kind of can't quite imagine what it is and then just write out the details for it. I need to kind of start it, you know, play around with it, change things, see if, like you say, see if the construction that I envisioned working is an actual construction method that can work. Exactly. And that's the thing. If you, if you don't experiment and do your own samples, oh, that's bright there. It's hard to play. <laughs> It's hard to do that that experimentation. You, you'll just stick to the one, the easy road. And I don't want yeah. to stick to the easy road with design. I want to experiment and try different things and play. Um, do you have a sense of where you want to see Tiki Knits going in the next, however, you know, whatever period of time? Oh, um, a sense of where it's going. I actually sat down earlier this year and I've been tracking my goals, making goals and writing them down and revisiting them, which is a really big mm. challenge for me. I'm usually a typical fly by the seat of your pants, not planners. You can just very airy-fairy from my approach to everything. But I've tried to set myself goals and think about where I do want to head with my business. And one of the things that I did realise was that I, I, I want to um, keep – um, challenging myself with construction but keep working on kids stuff because that's where that's where I start and that's where my love really is is the kids stuff and I get I do get sucked into knitting other stuff but um, I do see myself continuing down that path of mostly designing for kids wear because I think there's a bit of a gap there yeah mm. Mm. And, you know marketing yeah. people tell you fill those gaps work on your strengths well that's right and if it's if it's something that genuinely comes naturally to you and it's something mm. you really like doing then yeah. why not but it's so easy to go oh I'll just flutter over here and do some socks or a shawl because that's what everybody seems to be doing yeah but rather than <laughs> sticking to your strengths shawl city I mean uh, <laughs> there are just shawls everywhere but I bloody love shawls I love so I'm shawls. kind of okay with it <laughs> I love shawls too but I know that it's I've, I've designed a couple of shawls but I know yeah. that it's not necessarily my strength and to make it a strength it's something I probably have to work at more than I do with garments which seems yeah. probably kind of intuitive to most people but garments mm. are second nature whereas shawls and I guess it's because I want to deconstruct it too I don't want to just knit a, a you know a triangle shawl I want to deconstruct and do something weird with it at the same time yeah so yeah that's, something different yeah yeah mm. yeah cool do you think um actually this of course this is an obvious question I was just thinking like how it seems like people's designing tastes evolve over time and and are influenced by whether they're mothers or whether they like the people in their lives do you kind of like see your kids growing and you're like gotta knit this thing for you because you're cold or like it would look <laughs> great on you because you're this size now and it would fit you nicely <laughs> Absolutely. Um, when they were little, they were much easier to dress because you could just put stuff on them and they would yeah. wear it and they would wear what you would put on them. But now, because Lily's 11 and she's at that tween age where she's got really big ideas about what she wants to wear and what she doesn't want to wear, so mm -hmm. which, is, which is good because she brings a new um, element to my design is that age group, which apparently is really untapped really untapped um, anything in that age group that tween age group finding patterns for that mm. age group is a really untapped field 
and she, but yeah, she mm. has big ideas about what she will and won't wear. And <laughs> Toby's pretty easy; he still will put anything on. That's nice. <laughs> Cover yeah, vest on him. Mm. He's happy, but yeah, it is. I think as she particularly gets older, I can see the change in what I design based on her age, and mm. that's yeah, very obvious. And I think that will happen even more so as she gets older. I'm looking yeah. forward to when she is old enough to model my adult size, which would be great too. Yeah. Um, do your kids knit? Have you taught them to knit? I have. I have. They both knit. Lily's, she's a good little knitter. She actually has a little, every Thursday, her and her little friend come over and they knit together after school, which is a bit Aww, cute. That's so cute. <laughs> And it's the best part of their week. And so I've been teaching her friend all this term as part of a rotary project that she's doing getting a rotary badge. So every Thursday they come over and they have afternoon tea and I make them hot chocolates and they sit down and they knit and they chat. And they're like... That's adorable. They're like little old grandmas. They're hilarious. (laughs) They're so funny. Next thing you know, they'll be like, they'll drag in their little spinning wheels and they'll just be spinning in... (laughs) Well, Lily bought a spindle on the weekend and has been spinning. Oh. She's she bought a little Turkish drop spindle and she's been spinning away. Getting it oh out. my goodness. She's hilarious. So cool. Man, mm. coolest eleven year old around. <laughs> she's pretty funny. And Toby can knit. Awesome. He um he hassled me when he was about four to teach him how to knit and I thought, No way. You're not gonna get it, you'll be just a loose unit and he got it straight away. Wow. He is really good and he'll not touch his knitting for months and he'll just pick it up and start knitting. No problem. Huh, he just knows what to do. He's That's so cool. really good. He's, he's got really good visual memory, incredible visual memory. He's one of those kids mm. that you'll go somewhere and you go, oh yeah, we've been here before. We went here, blah, blah, blah. And we did. And he'll know somewhere where he's been, you know, a year ago. Yeah. And he'll know exactly where it is. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. I'd love to see all like all the kids lined up just doing their knitting. <laughs> They're pretty cute. So sweet. Yeah. Um, this is bouncing back to businessy type stuff, I suppose, or or both. I like to ask about advice that you would have for somebody who's just starting out, and it could be business related or it could ah. be just making related, whatever whatever suits. <laughs> oh, um, both. I, but business and making related is don't be afraid to just do what you want to do and yeah. take your own approach and don't be afraid of making mistakes particularly when you're making because the great thing about fiber art is it's easy to rip it out and start again never be afraid of making mistakes and ripping it out and starting again and going your mm. own way and also um i guess in line with that in business is never don't be afraid to be yourself I think sometimes we get presented with really slick images in social media. This is the way to present yourself through social media. And there's so much honesty and integrity that comes through with just being yourself. And I think that that's a really important tool in businesses. People will engage with you if you just be yourself. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. (laughs) Make mistakes and be yourself yeah yeah that's follow great. your own path yeah. create your own path to follow rather than feeling that you need to go along with the tide mm. Mm. I think it's particularly too in, true in in the fiber arts that it's possible to kind of forge your own path like it doesn't yeah. feel sometimes it doesn't feel that way it feels like oh there's so many patterns how could I possibly make one different but everybody 
has such a different approach and such, yeah. such a different spin on things. Yeah. Absolutely. There's lots of paths to be forged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Um, and then who do we need to be following in the fiber arts world? Oh, um, that's a, that's a tricky. Oh, everybody must check out Nan's Instagram account where she's, um, documenting her shepherding. That's, yes. that's just the most beautiful account to follow of all. And I think any fiber artist should follow that one because we do need to know where our sheep where our wool is grown and to see how sheep exist and um because it's a beautiful account that would be my tip um yeah apart from nan um i don't know i think i think i think depending on who you are different accounts are going to resonate with different people and um yeah we've all got different tastes and so yeah it's a hard one but i think yeah the wool growers are always beautiful to follow Tandy is mm. another good one to follow. Follow Tandy mm-hmm. as well because it, you know, if we support our local wool growers and that's that's the origin. So it's good to follow mm. the origins. Totally, that's mm. great. Well, thank you so much, Georgie. Pleasure. You've just listened to episode eighteen of the Close Knit Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider sharing it with friends and reviewing it on iTunes because that'll help us reach more people in the fiber arts community. If you're interested in sponsoring the Close Knit podcast, please get in touch. My email is hello at closeknit.com.au. Again, that's hello at closeknit.com.au. Thanks so much for tuning in. Till next time.